It's Quick Bits for the week of January 9th through the 13th, 2023. We have lots to talk about in the Idaho murders, but also Jen Shaw's sentencing and over a hundred new lawsuits in the Girardi case with so many more questions. It, just so many more questions. That's what we're breaking down today. This is just the Quick Bits. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture cases I'm currently covering. Let's get into it. On January 6, 2023, Jen Shaw, Real Housewife of Salt Lake City, who had pled guilty back in July of 2022 to one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, was sentenced to 6.5 years in federal prison with a substantial restitution order, including over $6.5 million in forfeiture, which is where the government will take your stuff and then over $9 million in other restitution owed alongside other defendants. So it is a substantial restitution order. She will not have to actually turn herself into custody until February 17th, 2023. Interestingly enough, this week also aired the season finale of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, where we see Jen professing her innocence but then in the days leading up to that July guilty plea, we see Jen sitting down with her mother and her mom's like, well, you're innocent, right? And Jen sits there silently. Now, of course, she might blame Bravo editing. She might have proclaimed her innocence to her mother loud and proud, but I wonder if she didn't. And then we learn, well, we see filmed Jen Shaw and others reacting to her awareness that Stuart Smith, her co co-defendant, her ride or die, her right hand, her stew chains, the man who drove her places and bought her tampons. I'm not making that up. He, he was the one who was uh, talking to the government and had a substantial witness statement that seemed to cause her quite a bit of distress because she learned exactly what he told the government about her. And we saw some of that in the sentencing memos that I covered with text messages between the two of them. It was really something else. Speaking of reality stars going to federal prison, the Chrisleys were not granted the motions that they were hoping for that would either delay them surrendering to go to federal prison or stay their sentence pending their appeals. We know some of the grounds for appeals with regard to what the IRS agent said and others, but also we know that they were asking to wait to go into federal custody until those appeals were done and the judge denied all of those motions and they will be turning themselves both in to different federal prisons later this month. On Tuesday, I also covered the new Girardi lawsuits and they have not stopped this week. Starting at the end of December 2022, the bankruptcy trustee started filing lawsuits on lawsuits on lawsuits, over 112 at this point and counting seeking to take back monies that were paid out in the seven years prior to the bankruptcy, alleging that the law firm was already in financial distress, which allows the bankruptcy trustee to try to claw back monies paid. Monies paid to who, Emily? Well, monies paid to Tom Girardi's law school, Loyola, Tom Girardi's high school, Loyola, Tom Girardi's aviation companies and private jets and uh, people who worked on the house and also 
his daughter, his son-in-law, his CFO, his CFO. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He, Erica Girardi, Erica's son, and so many more. But that was not where the bombshells stopped dropping with the Girardi case because when I was going through all of the documents on the CFO, it's made clear that other arrests are coming. And if you haven't been following this coverage closely, the Girardi Keese law firm's CFO, Christopher Kamen, was arrested when he came back into the United States and was indicted on one count of a fraud within a fraud. You know, a cute little side piece of fraud in the amount of $10 million taken from the Girardi Keese law firm while he was the CFO. And while that would seem shocking enough, there's more because in the lawsuits to claw back money, it's alleged that the CFO received $22 million, $22 million in American Express bills paid by the law firm for personal items, for travel, for luxury goods, for a lavish lifestyle and all the rest of it. It blew my mind. $22 million in American Express bills paid in over seven years, the last seven years. Also, it alleged that this individual had 17 different American Express cards in his name through the law firm that were being paid by the law firm. 17, 17 different American Express cards, 17. Tom Girardi had like 12. Erica had less. The CFO had 17. So now we know more arrests are coming. So buckle up for more arrests in the Girardi case. And the feds are saying that it is a $100 million fraud. The CFO, by the way, remains in custody despite his best efforts. The uh, The court is not, uh, not convinced that the CFO is going to stay uh, in the United States if he's let out of custody. So his attorneys keep trying. The government keeps arguing no, and the court has agreed with them. On the Emily Show podcast this week on Wednesday, I broke down a little bit more from the affidavit in the Idaho murders, the part that was unsealed, and talked about how the eyewitness roommate DM's testimony and identification of someone leaving their house really could have brought this case to a much quicker arrest based on a description that is then enough for the probable cause affidavit to start tying together this defendant, his white Elantra, his cell phone, and tying it all together to making the arrest and getting those search warrants. It really made this arrest go much faster, in my opinion. We also talk about the defamation case between a professor at the University of Idaho and a TikToker. The TikToker has alleged on multiple occasions that the professor hired someone to commit these murders because the professor was having an, an uh, adult relationship with one of the murdered students. It is some of the wildest stuff I have gone through in a defamation lawsuit. You have the right to say things that are true. You cannot just say things that are untrue and uh, defamatory. So the TikTok account was not shut all the way down because the TikToks were still up, but the TikToker couldn't still post. So, of course, they uh, started a new account and doubled down on that. So that case isn't going anywhere, but I can't imagine the added stress that that is causing to the University of Idaho community, given that there are people online purporting to have information that they 
don't don't seem to have actually or factually and then continuing to make statements about who committed the murders in these case um and alleging it's a professor it's just it's wild on thursday i covered the university of idaho defendant brian kohlberger's scheduling hearing and the scheduling hearing was pretty brief in and of itself but what happened was quite significant the defense asked to put the preliminary hearing over for six months until the end of june the court did set the preliminary hearing until june 26th and set it for five days that's a long preliminary hearing to have five days of testimony which i think will be a lot of expert testimony a preliminary hearing, you have the right to have it in Idaho in under 14 days from the time you are arraigned. And of course, there is a very short period of time between your arrest and arraignment. Once you're arraigned, you have the right to have your preliminary hearing within 14 days, unless you waive it like the defendant did here. After you go to preliminary hearing and are held over, if you're held over because there's probable cause that you are the one who did the thing and you are being held over to trial, then in Idaho, you have an additional six months to go to trial. So when I said at the beginning, I don't think we'll see a trial on this till 2024. If it goes to trial, it looks like that timeline is more likely now that the preliminary hearing has been put over till June and of course, the right to a speedy trial is guaranteed by the Constitution, and each jurisdiction decides what speedy trial means for them and what speedy preliminary hearing means for them. And of course, in Idaho, it is six months. One of the questions I got quite a lot on live stream is, does this benefit or hurt either side? It gives the defense enough time to go through the evidence in this case, much of it technical, including cell phone data. Um, there's going to be quite a bit of physical evidence from this crime scene. But it also gives prosecutors and investigators time to get the defendant's DNA back, to get the defendant's blood tests back. We know that those things were taken subject to search warrant when the defendant was arrested. So at preliminary hearing, we could see if the uh, DNA that is on the sheath of the knife that was found on the bed next to two of the victims comes back to the defendant, not just familial DNA to his father. So that is very interesting stuff. And then the chat said, but Emily, his defense attorney made a statement. And I said, no, there's a gag order. And they said, no, his defense attorney from Pennsylvania. And then I lost my mind on a live stream going through Brian Enton's interview with the defense attorney from Pennsylvania who talked about the conversation that they had in custody with Brian Kohlberger before he was extradited to Idaho. It is one of the wildest things I've ever seen. I have no idea why this attorney chose to talk about what he said to his client and what his client said to him, but he gave some interesting insights and input on thinking that the eyewitness identification by surviving roommate DM was shaky saying that it was dark obviously and then backtracking that statement and saying well we could speculate that it was dark well somebody's walking out of the house at four o'clock in the morning somebody else just got a DoorDash delivery why are we speculating that it's dark if everyone is getting home from a night out and still awake and the eyewitness is hearing noises why are we assuming that it's dark that was very interesting to me but he also did say that the probable cause declaration has some holes in it, and he thinks that those holes will be shrinking as the prosecution fills it in. Well, yeah, probable cause declaration is just that. Uh, enough evidence to go, yeah, that's enough, but no more than that. And so I was... I it was why I broke my goat. It was wild. If you if you need to know more about what that's about, um, 
you'll have to go watch the live stream because <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh is um is very sad. And that is the end of what we covered together this week. Of course, all of the long form content will be linked down below. All of my content is timestamped so you can go just to those stories to get more information on what interests you. And I hope you find the quick bit summaries helpful. Let me know if you do, and then we will just keep doing it because that, cause that's what we do because it's the quick bits. I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for being all honored. Don't forget to check out my long form coverage of all of the cases we've been talking about over on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and on The Emily Show podcast. You can follow me everywhere on social media at The Emily D. Baker. And if you want to join our Lawnards community to get even more podcasts, lawnardsunite.com for behind the scenes and a members only I Have Thoughts podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being a Lawnard. And I will see you in the next one.